Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. I am your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it's sponsored by the Career Hub. You can link to the Career Hub off the Goslin Martin Associates main webpage, so if you haven't checked it out, I'd encourage you to do so. Today, we are uh, pleased to welcome three facility management professionals to the show. We're going to discuss COVID and COVID burnout relative to FM and the employees who work in FM. Now, I know there's been much said and written about COVID. You know, we're going on 10 months now, if not a little bit more. But we thought it would be good to check in with the boots on the ground and to see how they are faring and see how their staffs are faring and to see what they've done and how they've approached these last 10 months. Today, we welcome Clay Silek. Corey Myshak and Richard Schoeder. Clay is facility manager at St. Peter Hospital in Olympia, Washington. St. Peter is part of Providence Health and Services. They're a Washington-based system. Clay has more than 30 years of healthcare experience in the Pacific Northwest. He is also the immediate past president of the Washington State Society for Healthcare Engineering. Corey is director of facility operations at St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. St. Luke's is part of Advocate Aurora Health, a system based in Illinois and Wisconsin. Corey has more than 20 years of healthcare experience, and interestingly, he has his degree in biomedical medical engineering from the great Marquette University, where Corey and I are both alums, although I am older than he is. We were never there at the same time. Rick was director of plan operations and safety officer for Select Medical in Mount Clemens, Michigan, until late 2020. At that time, Rick left Select Medical. He and his family relocated to North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. So Rick's timing wasn't the best. He's currently seeking healthcare facility management opportunities in the North Carolina, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. He has more than 20 years of experience in healthcare and construction. And uh, Rick is in North Carolina out of a planned relocation. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Excellent. Excellent. There they all are. By the end of the show, you will know everybody's voice. But for this first question, I just wanted to start with uh, Corey. Corey, as I said in the introduction, he made an interesting transition from biomedical, medical engineering into healthcare facilities management. It's a transition that we sometimes um, see, but Corey has obviously made it successfully. So I just wanted to ask Corey to start, what was that transition like? Was it a planned transition? And, and what do you think of the transition from biomed into healthcare facilities management? Is it, is it a nice career path for folks to take? Peter, and thanks for the introduction. So as you mentioned, my path, I started in biomedical engineering once I graduated from Marquette. Um, I joined an organization that was physician-owned and, and rather small at the time. So they didn't know where biomed fit in, whether it was with IT or facilities. Um, fortunately for me, as luck would have it, I ended up with the facilities team. Uh, part of the opportunity of being a small do-it-all department is you get exposed to a lot of opportunities, a lot of growth opportunities. Um, not too much unlike most of your podcast guests. You know, it starts with 
a mentor. It starts with someone who took uh, stock in me and, and saw that I could be more, that I could grow into our great industry. So it wasn't necessarily by choice, but it was through guidance. Excellent. And are you you pleased with that uh, transition? Absolutely. Um, you know, the one thing, and as anyone who's made a career transition, there can be some anxiety to it, but having those individuals behind you who trust and who can really shepherd your your skills, shepherd your career. Um, I was lucky enough that my mentor, and we talk about mentors a lot on, on your podcast, uh, you know, I was with for 18 plus years. So um, I was in excellent and remained in excellent hands. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and let's think back to March 2020, which it seems like a different lifetime ago. But let's go back to March 2020 when all this started to break open. When I say all this, not to minimize, um, you know, the pandemic and COVID. What were you gentlemen thinking? You were in your leadership roles. You were directors and managers. Clay, I'm just going to I'm going to throw that one to you. What were you thinking way back in March 2020 when all this was kind of new? Well, it almost feels, Peter, like uh, when you walk in one day to find out that joint commissions at your doorstep. But <laughs> similarly, though, it, it seems like it it came on slowly but did not take long to become uh, very rapidly affecting major operational changes. Uh, you know, it, it, things like uh, daily meetings were occurring with leadership and updates, and then those updates would get updated, incident command centers being set up. So you kind of really got caught into the rhythm uh, of it all and not even sure where it was going, but you could see over time uh, things would become more uh, restrictive and constrictive around what we could or couldn't do or you know, what should be the focus of our attention on any given day. It did, for me, though, conjure up some prior responses when the Ebola uh, uh, breakout happened and how we were um, trying to respond as a not only an organization but as a facility. You know, how would we handle a, a case at our door? So it just was uh, uh, daily things being added became part of your workflow and um, on top of everything else, really. Did it go from zero to 60 for you or did it, did it happen? And I know you said kind of came on gradually, but was there a, a shift or was it, you know, how, how did the buildup occur? Well, where I was located, it, it was steady and I think exponential in its growth. Uh, we were not like one of the hospitals that was the first one uh, just north of me, where that was the first one in the state of Washington and supposedly in the nation to have received the first COVID patient to their hospital. That had a really um, uh, immediate effect on them. Uh, and my follow up with that facility manager. Ours was more, okay, how are we preparing? You know, how do we lock down uh, visitor policies? You know, how we interact with each other, so on. And uh, those updates were, uh, again, tuning in and then the expectation that you were going to 
give the latest update and disseminate that among your teams. Rick, how about you? You know, back in March 2020, you're in Mount Clemens, Michigan, when it started to break open. What were you thinking? What were your thoughts? Well, I echo the sentiment of, of everything that was just said. And I, I think for me, I, I remember it like it was like it was yesterday. Um, we had a little bit different experience in the beginning. And I, I think, um, I guess the way I can portray it is, in the beginning, we, we were uh, we're a critical access hospital, so we weren't having the um, the ED department overrun and, and a high influx of patients. But when it came time, I'll, I'll say it this way: as a, as a community goal to help our community, um, it was important to pull in all the patients that we could help from the you know level one, level two trauma centers. Um, with all the with all the items that were said, yes, you know, I, I completely agree. I mean, I remember looking back and the flow of information, the transfer of information, things were happening greatly. When you look at um, all the support services, all in nursing, all of safety, emergency management, how we locked the building down, how just an instantaneous stop to visitors coming into the building. Um, I think the the level of gratitude on both ends from our staff and the way we all pitched in and helped is, is, was an amazing experience, truly. Um, and as we moved through the, through the early stages of it, I think everyone was a bit scared. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not ashamed or I'm not, I'm not going to say that I wasn't. I, I first, first and foremost, I was, um, I, I was caring for elderly parents at the time too. So a lot of, a lot of information that was coming, you know, we were learning just like the next hospital or the next region. Um, Everything within the built environment changed. Supply chain, um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about some of these topics, but it was definitely a learning experience and something that hit rapidly. And I know each region was affected differently, and some were more delayed. Um, the, the greater Detroit area or the Michigan area, we, we were amongst some of the first uh, regionally to be hit pretty hard with, uh, with the pandemic, with the influx of patients. Corey, how about you? You know, I, I would really echo the statements that Rick made. You know, never have I felt or been poised with more questions that I didn't have answers to, um, whether it was from staff or whether it was, you know, really all around the event. Um, you know, I think as Clay mentioned, you know, we have all been through the Ebola event, you know, and that, and that allowed us a little bit of a learning curve. But, you know, as the flow of information came from the CDC, the WHO, you know, we were poised with new parameters day to day, if not hour to hour. So, um, you know, when it came to the staff, both direct reports and staff that we support as well, um, it, it really underlines the need to have integrity and trust and, and know that you may get things wrong, but here is some of the, the thoughts, the decisions that you're going to you know, put into place. Ah, interesting. You guys all hit on information. And I mean, as you know, whether you're working in healthcare facilities and we're dealing with a COVID pandemic or just something as stupid as a trade in the NBA, information flows fast and furious at all times through Twitter, through Facebook. What you're doing is obviously a little more bit more important than an MBA trade. How did you control 
Or how did you handle the constant flow of information in separating or trying to separate? Because really early on, there was so much misinformation, and not even by you know doing it on purpose, just a lot of misinformation. How did you handle the dissemination of information to your staff and dealing with what you really you you nobody was entirely sure of. So very early on, information. How did you control the flow and and what did you how did you manage that? Because it's all brand new for everybody. It's not like you had a playbook to look at. I'll throw that out to anybody who wants to answer and you can all answer because really information is at the heart of everything we do or that you do. How'd you handle information and disseminating appropriate and what you thought was truthful info? I, I think in the very beginning for for me and and uh, what we learned in the in the takebacks from um, within our hospital very early on from some of the uh, information transferred from whether it's the federal government, the CDC, or the state of Michigan, or our regional healthcare coalitions, it was fast, it was quick, it was coming in. Our um, our senior leadership team, our interdepartmental teams that were pushing the information out as fast as possible. I I, I sometimes felt that we were. Um, reacting faster than we should have, but we were all learning at the same time. Um, and, and I guess what I mean by some of that is uh, there's so many different or so many various departments that we're, we're reporting up. Um, you know, I also look at when I say so many different departments outside of FM, like um, HR department and materials management, supply chain, logistics. Um, it was a new day. It was a new struggle. There were so many internal and external fluctuations on how the information was being disseminated and pushed up. Um, again, I'll, I'll circle back around and just say it, it got confusing at times. And after I would say probably the first 10 to 15 days, we started organizing it and pulling the information down to different groups. So a lot of different department heads were having corporate meetings with, uh, you know, getting support from our corporate partners and corporate teams. And we had to actually slow down a bit and pull that information and talk more amongst ourselves. So that in itself was a learning experience. The other, the other great challenge we had um, in our hospital, we had a large tenant uh, that was in the hospital that had psychiatric care, um, pretty large uh, 89 bed psychiatric care hospital. So that was a different set of challenges uh, in itself. So, yes, I, I, I would say that the information in the very beginning was very difficult to fan out amongst the teams. And then it, uh, it, it did get better throughout time just by actually slowing down a bit. We were reacting quickly. Yes. Peter, the flow of information that you're asking about, it, it was said moments ago when you have staff looking at you or asking questions and you're not entirely sure how to answer them. It's a little unsettling. Uh, what uh, we were able to um, have is a system level incident command as well as each hospital incident command. And that was really the source of information that you could feel confident, or at least I could, in uh, then disseminating out to individual staff or, or, or other teams. And so there was that daily, um, like I mentioned before, updates, or there would be um, uh, printed, uh, you know, attachments, PDFs to meetings, the daily call meetings that then you could disseminate out. And 
as you just took it as it came and tried to just make sure everybody understood um, where we were at with the best information we had. And uh, so I, I fortunately didn't have to um, carry that uh, water in terms of coming up with the information, but definitely to make sure that it was understood and uh, obviously across all shifts. Yeah, Clay, I think that's a really good point. You know, so much information came down. It was so key to meet with our frontline staff and meet with them in new and different ways. We can no longer all huddle in the in the shop. You know, we had Correct. to be socially yeah. distant. And sometimes not being able to see an individual, whether it's even on a Zoom or a Teams meeting, it, it, it just doesn't have that same level of calming effect that you hope it does. So it just led to more rounding, a lot more questions, um, and, and a lot more availability. A lot more availability, Corey, of you to them, of you to, to staff to, to be available for them to ask questions and all? For our leaders, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in our organization, you know, in the beginning, probably like most, was really juggling who do we keep away, who do we send away, you know, for their own safety, et cetera, as well as the safety of the staff in the hospital. Um, as a regional director, you're right, I'm not turning a wrench, but it, it seems incredibly disingenuous if I'm not alongside my engineers, my carpenters, my plumbers, you know, not doing the same thing, but I'm there with them. Yep. Yep. How would you, uh, how would you gentlemen describe the state of your FM staff then March, 2020 and where they are now? This is pretty short for me in the sense that I think now, um, at, or at the beginning, they were very cautious and but new work patterns have developed that are now the norms so i think they're i'm not having anybody have any uh, outside of you know certain uh, contact precaution patient rooms uh, i'm not having really any situations where people don't know what to do now like that they were hesitant about early on hmm. Clay, what's an example, if, if you could, or could you give an example of a, a new work pattern that is now the norm? Well, we um, have tried to just make sure, depending upon what work activity is, is uh, happening, that they know from a PPE standpoint what environment they're in and what they should be wearing that kind of... Uh, is not more than when more than just a mask is required. And so they really have to understand, you know, where they're working and what they're touching and, and, and how to uh, uh, address it. Um, it was mentioned even before with the social distancing, like uh, Teams has just really taken over for us in terms of how we have meetings because no one's congregating in a conference room really anymore. And if you do, you're limited to the amount of staff, which can be less than your department size and uh, to keep social distancing. And also um, uh, just that whole interaction, um, break rooms, uh, you know, limiting the amount of people that can be in a break room. And so people have just adapted to find other ways to, 
to do things and stay connected, but it does feel more dis, uh, more disconnected. Mm. So Clay, do you feel- I, I agree completely with, and, and definitely what you were saying on that. I mean, we even looked at different job actions and identical to what you were looking at um, for different um, testing and maintenance Things of things of that nature. When you go up in an air handler, what type of PPE you're using? So there were still some unknowns on how long the virus would live. So, you know, as we um, as we morphed and changed and learned more, um, you couldn't have said it um, couldn't have said it better. That, that was perfect. Yes, we we did a very similar you know job action on, on the different activities that we were handling. Rick and Clay. So here's something that you know I have a question for you both. Did it seem like it made our staff slow down just a little bit and be a little bit more mindful of the risks that probably always exist existed in healthcare and the precautions we need to take? I, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, over time, including myself, many of many of the maintenance uh, staff, you get complacent on what you do. Yes, safety is very important. PPE is very important, but. Absolutely, did it? Did it not? Did we not do a better job at just taking a step back? And of course, everyone has their own comfort level. Um, uh, some employees engage a little bit more easily than. than uh, I'll give an example of some of our, our older staff members because they were worried about some of their underlying conditions and what the you know what the effects were, both internal and external, for them. Um, some of the past simple steps truly made you stop and think: How are you going to tackle that? Uh, that specific task. Yeah, the individualness came out in terms of, you know, what were their fears, concerns. Um, some people had no problem still with, you know, a handshake. And, and but I think for the most part, everybody kind of respected everybody else's bubble, so to speak. And uh, just worked with uh, uh, and, and would ask questions if they weren't sure what to do. But uh, they have since, as far as where we've come from, pretty much figured it out. And uh, uh, but I think there's still a, uh, there will be a, a burden kind of lifted if we ever get to the end of this. Oh, most definitely. Have, have you, <laughs> Most definitely. And when you say if we, if we get to the end, Clay, hopefully, uh, hopefully yes, and hopefully when. Have you seen, and, and maybe perhaps you're just alluding to it a little bit there, but have you seen COVID burnout in your staff? And I guess I don't mean burnout like in the traditional sense where somebody breaks down and they say I can't go down, can't go on. But has has it manifested itself in any way? And if it did manifest itself, how did it manifest itself within your employees? For me, um, initially, when there was like the shortage and supply chain doing their best to get PPE, and then was it the right kind of PPE, uh, it would be easy for uh, a support service level to feel like we were kind of, unless we were directly in contact with patients, uh, you kind of got the, the leftovers. And, it, it, and so you... Uh, it took a while for everybody to be uh, at a point where the proper PPE was no longer being rationed and that there was a supply, but they were very much watching that carefully and, you know, what could be reused or not. Um, 
we have to do a daily attestation of your self check on how you're feeling. And that's uh, recorded and I get that daily. And, uh, and some people don't always do that, but that is a CMS requirement on us to meet an 80% compliance rate. And uh, I just say that the younger staff do it well. Um, uh, it, it's, you know, there's that before they kind of have gone from maybe having the possibility of uh, some training or travel and that funding shut down rapidly. Um, also, um, just the ability to have to walk the line of being the front line of a department for work requests or for activities that we support and having to tell the front other frontline staff that I'm sorry, we, that is not, you know, no longer a priority and we can't do that for you at this time. And we, you know, hope that we can return to that. Whereas perhaps in the nursing units, you know, they're running wide open and they think, Hey, we're, we're running full steam. Why can't you? And so that just means that a bulletin board maybe doesn't get installed or, or something like that, that is of a, what we've determined to be, you know, a lower tier and, uh, and really center around what was the priorities of the time at the time that where we needed to invest our, our time. So it, it, it sort of was a hard for them to have to tell normally their customer who they see all the time as their customers as no, I can't do that for you today. Clay, I, I would add to that, that I saw a lot of burnout, COVID fatigue from something we mentioned earlier, information. So not only was our staff surrounded by information at work, but when they went home, it was in the media you know, in many ways, they never got to truly exhale. So when you're digesting it all the time, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, or they go home and see their own facility on the news. That too, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't agree with what, I can't agree more with what you said, Corey. And um, I, I think we, we had all experienced the same thing, even though we were in different regions of the country. Um, again, you know, exactly. You go home and you're getting certain information from um, news channels or even even the flow of mass information on social media. If I could take it a step further there, um, you would see some of these reports. And we talked about it a bit earlier on in the segment. What was true and what was not true? Um, I remember early on just kind of putting this one out there, even with supply chain. You know, we, we kind of cross functionally helped out all departments and we're pulling stuff off the loading dock. And I remember one of the reports that came through that said, well, you know, many of the packages come in from overseas and it, it could live a, a, a great deal of time on a package. You need to be careful with what you're doing. So I think that the flow of that instant information, some of it true, some of it not true, we didn't know it in the very, uh, really early stages of this. So that, that was also one of those influences that, or influencers, I should say that, uh, um, that I think kind of helped, push the burnout faster than anything. And some burnout revealed itself in that some people were, you know, able to um, work remotely right away. Um, some uh, maybe just part-time. And so there was that loss of interaction. And as we all know, 
some things are just better in person, whether it be the conversations, the troubleshooting, the visual inspections. And so it's sort of like you want to turn to a resource and they're not here. Um, you know, you have to reach them in other ways. And just that can be kind of wearing down after a while. No, absolutely. And, and one of the comments you made earlier, um, back to, you know, how we were supporting the hospital and nursing. Yes, they were at full board. Um, support services, you know, quietly behind the scenes, as quickly as we could turn a room over to bring another patient in to, to help the area hospitals, the community, we did. Um, and, and you're correct. Many and many of the work orders that came through, um, unfortunately, we, we were looking at um, different ways to either delay it, put the, that style of work order off, and we had to make quick and swift decisions on all shifts of, you know, what is a high priority? Um, and that was a, a difficult decision from time to time from, uh, from the FM staff to make. And I, I think they fared very well, and all departments were very understanding of what was happening at the time. So agree. The Bolton Bird at that time was not, you know, an urgent matter. It could wait. Did any of you get gentlemen lose staff uh, due to COVID? Did they just say, I'm done? Yeah, Peter, I'd like to take that one. Uh, sure. You know, throughout our organization, we have approximately 600 technicians. We did lose a handful of them to early retirement. And, and that early retirement was difficult for a few reasons. Number one, we, we lost the tribal knowledge that they brought to their facilities they served. But secondly, the teams that they served on weren't able to celebrate them leaving. So uh, not only did it have a difficult effect on staffing, but it had a little bit of a demoralizing effect. So, you know, seeing our way through that was a challenge at times. Thankfully, it didn't happen too much. I did not have a direct, uh, uh, you know, dropping off, but it was more indirect. Um, I mentioned earlier about how some people started to work remote because they could, and we seldom see them uh, except virtually. But there were some situations of family members who contracted the virus, which meant then they were, that our staff member had to quarantine for a period of time for policy and make adjustments around that. I had a qualified applicant for an open position that turned it down due to the risk of COVID that, as he interpreted it. Uh, and then if you look at vendors being an extension uh, of, our, of our team, uh, some refused to come in or uh, we had to uh, provide them with uh, being deemed essential in writing so that they were not in violation of state or community lockdown orders. Uh, because uh, things have to have to go on in a hospital. Uh, we had a, I had a call from our statewide uh, elevator rep that said, "Hey, we heard there was a death at your hospital, and so now the guys don't want to come in." And wow. I, I kind of just had to talk through it and off the ledge there a little bit. I said, "Look, you know, I got an elevator down. You you need to be here for contract, and it's not like you're." Right. It's not like the door's open and you're dumping some of your staff right into a patient COVID room. Um, so at any rate, there was a lot of that kind of interaction that had to sort of calm fears and work out protocols and that kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, you think about, um, you think about the, 
the avenues that you've had to go in as leaders and managers of people that you probably never envisioned. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're playing part psychologist for folks at different times. You're wearing many more hats than I'm sure you wear a lot of hats to begin with, but now you're probably wearing psychologist, psychiatrist hats as well for different people's needs. Oh, absolutely. Including yourself. Yeah. I was going to ask Rick, I'm glad you, you, you mentioned yourself. I mean, you know, Corey, I think you talked about unplugging. Clay, you talked about information as Rick, did you? And you guys are leaders and, you know, you, you have a facility to run, but you also you also need to unplug or you need to distance and take care of yourself as well because it's overwhelming for you. Is there anything you've done um, either outside of work or inside work to, to better be able to, you know, keep your frame of mind positive and to deal with this ongoing situation because as you said it hasn't gone away yet so what have you done to take care of yourself and to you know to be able to take care of your teams that's uh, that's a very interesting question that's a great question um i, I think early on um and, and the other gentleman on the other side of the table can probably echo this sentiment um we lived at the hospital we were there day and night uh, we had our small breaks we went home um I think what helped me a bit early on, because I had my own struggles, both internal and external, um, as I mentioned before, you know, helping and taking care of elderly parents, um, walking around to the hospital one evening, uh, I'll never forget this as one of our more seasoned, older nurses. And she said, you know, you're run down like everyone else. You need a break. You need to go home. And we got to talking a little bit. And she said, this is going to pass. We're doing well. We're doing the best we can with the information we have for our community, for our hospital. Um, and, and she went out with a little story talking about the AIDS pandemic. And she said, in the beginning, everyone was extremely fearful. And that actually set my mind at ease a little bit. Um, and, and it was helpful just with the, the empathy that that nurse portrayed, not only for her patients, but towards me and other staff members. And it was a lesson learned and it actually helped set my mind at ease early on. Um, and as we, as we kind of flow through the processes and things got better, information got better. Um, I, I think for me personally, it was just kind of detaching a little bit and, and letting my teams handle, um, you know, obviously the 24 seven all shifts, but letting my teams handle it, you know, was giving me the opportunity to take a little break, just being at home, unplugging and, uh, Again, I think from the beginning that that conversation that I had with that uh, with that nurse truly changed my mindset early on. Because again, I told you early on in the uh, in the conversation, I was just as scared as many you know many if not all the people um, in the hospital in the community as a whole. Yeah, the value Rick, of one of the words you said. <laughs> Go right ahead, Corey. Yeah, so Rick, one of the words you said really resonated with me, and that was empathy. Uh, you know, and I think Peter mentioned it earlier. You know, we wear many, many hats, uh, but especially during this event, understanding that our teams, as well as ourselves, are bringing not only our best selves to work, but everything that's going on outside of work, and, and being willing to talk about that and, you know, be vulnerable at times and just say, hey, look, come in my office, obviously distant, of course, um, but how are you doing? How, how is it at home? You know, and, and just being authentic. It sounds easy. It's not. Uh, but it's just that situational leadership that, that this pandemic put us in. 
Absolutely. Someone, uh, the, the mentioning of someone coming alongside and just sort of checking in with you, uh, Peter, I know you know this, but I had the unique situation of changing healthcare employers in the, in the middle of the summer. And that allowed me to shut down and untangle from one employer uh, before having the tug of the new with a vacation in the middle. Now, in 30 years, that's only happened one other time to me. And uh, uh, that was sort of a gave me a, a real kind of a reset, fresh perspective and energy coming into the new situation. And one of the things that I tried to do was to meet with key leaders in the organization in the first 30 days. And one of them, I, I asked uh, an administrator, I said, do you have any advice to me in this, in this role? And he said, take care of yourself. And uh, he, that's similar to that nurse that was just mentioned. Uh, that's come up several times in my mind that it was okay to, okay, I'm done for the day because, you know, for most of us, it's, um, at least for me, 10 hours is the minimum. And, and so I just, it's all the more to, you know, keep disciplined schedule as much as possible that allows for keeping pace. Uh, I don't, I don't try to push through with workload or longer hours if I'm feeling a little off or, not, you know, the creative or the sharpest part of my day, because I'm probably going to mess up on an email if I do, if I do that. So um, little things, but um, uh, I, they just sort of, it sort of amplified the basics. That's a great example, Clay. You know, you said like the little things, even to the point of knowing when you're effective and ineffective and scheduling your day around that, like emails. I mean, sometimes you know, especially today, you get an email, you try to respond to it quickly because you, you got to be seen as responding quickly. Everybody needs a quick response, but you're telling yourself you can take that time, think of a reasoned approach, and then hitting it when you're fresh is so important because you, you you don't make mistakes in that fashion. And it's so easy to get caught up in the, you know, in the frenzy because we all expect that these days. But knowing how you work, mm-hmm. taking a step back, and working effectively within how you worked effectively is important. I think that's a great piece of advice. The um, no, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Kind of along those lines, uh, gentlemen, and you know, we have room for a couple more questions. But is there, you know, since this started in March, is there something? Is there a change that you've made in your management style, or is there a program or a process that you put in place? within your departments that you think is, has worked well and has resulted in a positive. So that's a long way to say, is there a change you made that's worked well for you? Peter, that's a great question. Um, I, I think more than anything, it's recognition of the team and not only from internal, you know, from us as FM leaders, but it, it, it's the recognition that we receive from the other caregivers, administration, etc. Uh, sometimes we are, you know, the unsung heroes of healthcare. Uh, you know, if you ask people what does facilities do, you know, it's the stigma that it's just light bulbs and you know, and toilets. It couldn't be farther from it. Um, okay. So this 
this event really highlighted our team and, and made them in many ways, even though it was difficult, puff their chest out and say, hey, look, you're coming to us for a reason. I have tried to just keep a consistent informational uh, communications and updates uh, as far as a practice, uh, you know, that adage of saying, you know, you can't over communicate just has seemed to be all the more because of this sense of having more of a disconnection. Uh, and you're, it's not as easy to pull everybody together in one little room and say, okay, you know, here's what we got on our plate today. That's different that you didn't know about. And we got to address You, you got to go about it differently. Um, what I've done is assembled uh, with all this information that's come out, um, so much of it is addressed to the clinical side as to how they are addressing things under COVID. And I saw a need to distill that for support services staff, you know, get, get rid of all that other thing that is clinical and just sort of what's the information that they need to know if a situation to arise, you know, okay, in this situation, I do this and that. So developed a, a I didn't create the information. I just distilled it from other sources and put together into a packet so that each individual team member can say, okay, if something comes up, refer to this packet. You know, it doesn't mean that it's the, it doesn't mean that it's the information that will stay the same going forward, but this is a resource you can come back to because even if they go to the company's websites for infection prevention or for COVID uh, specific information, it still is this vast amount of, of stuff and they have to kind of read through it all to see, okay, what's my piece. And so that was just something that I felt like they could uh, uh, use as a resource. And then we tried to make sure that in some way that during all this, like the, the national facilities and engineering week um, you know, supported by ASHI, that there was still a way that we could celebrate this, the team. And uh, we were able to, to do it in a, in, a, in a different way, but uh, in a way and just made sure that as much as possible, we were able to you know, keep that recognition for them. And, uh, and it's just, I th- it, it turned out to be a success. And I, I think it was a little more meaningful to them this time around than maybe they've given it credit for in the past. That take you a lot of time to do, Clay. Put that the information together. You, no, the, oh, the, the, you know, uh, the yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went through uh, resources on the on the you know the um, organization's website and just and then, then I contacted some other groups and I was surprised uh, how much. Um, they had sources of information that wasn't readily apparent. And that came from our EVS teams, as well as from our transportation, who have a more direct contact, even though they're support services with, uh, you know, with the patient environment. And they had information that I hadn't even seen. And uh, it was very beneficial. So I would say it just took uh, maybe a couple hours for me to sift through. And then I asked an admin assistant to help with, uh, you know, compiling it and then uh, kind of creating the packets and they're they're assembled. So uh, not too much effort. 
But enough. But you know what? what <laughs> yeah, what's the guy supposed to do if he's being asked to go in and change a light bulb in a shower with a COVID patient in the bed? Yeah. Knowing that that COVID patient may need to use the restroom, and what is you know what's his protocol for being able to do that when it's not like an emergency that the room is vacated and then we go in at the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is. Um... This is the High Reliability Podcast, and I'd like to thank my guest once again. We're going to ask one final question that I hope uh, hope isn't a curveball, but I do want to thank Clay Silek, Facilities Manager, St. Peter Hospital, Olympia, Washington, Corey Myshak, Director of Facility Ops at St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, and Rick Schoder, who was the uh, Director of Plan Ops Safety Officer for Select Medical in Mount Clemens, Michigan, now relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina. Gentlemen, um, as I said at the beginning, thank you for joining. But is there, you alluded to it, I think, Corey, where the perception of facilities amongst people outside of facilities, especially before the pandemic, you know, change light bulbs and, and unplug toilets. As you look at this, as the three of you look at this, you know, the pandemic and the aftermath, which is really change, it's going to change everything, um, even to meetings. But are there opportunities for FM, for facilities management that you think will result or have resulted from the pandemic that, you know, back in February of 2020, you never could have even envisioned? Do you think there are opportunities that have resulted from this pandemic for the world of FM? Peter, I, I would something. say the event. <laughs> Peter, I, I would thank say you, the event. Thank you, Corey. Than any... oh, sorry about that. So I, I would say the event really underlined what we in facilities do and brought it to the forefront more than anything. You know, that it's it's always a challenge for us to sell what we do as a department, especially at times a non-revenue generating department. You know, not if you've heard that one. Uh, yes. So being able to meet the demands and the challenges that were brought up day by day, week by week, I think highlighted how talented our teams are. Um, and, and sometimes when we talk to our team members themselves, you know, we kind of joked around it and, and said, look, if you're ever posed with the age old uh, interview question, tell me about a difficult time. Well, look no farther than what we've lived through. So. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, that that's that's a really good one. You're 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 exactly right. Put it in perspective. It it really does. An unanticipated benefit, perhaps, or an opportunity, is that now there seems to be better uh, appreciation for HVAC and perhaps funding for future projects around you know touching that with controls and all. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's understood, I think, much better across by others now, the importance of that. And so perhaps that'll lead to some, uh, some upgrades, if not outright, um, you know, replacement projects. And I agree completely on, on both those aspects that uh, you gentlemen were speaking of. And, and I'd like to take it a step further. Yes, you know, with, with support services, we're, we're not uh, um, the talked about group all day long. We we. We do a very important role. Um, we're all heroes. And taking it a step further um, to our next set of partners that are just as important, just as much as heroes, and we talked about a little bit um, in the beginning, bringing vendors in. 
they're as much of a client to the organization as a patient laying in the bed. And they provide a service that um, for an opportunity out, you know, looking out in the future. And, and I guess my experience in construction before moving to healthcare, you know, and I, I, I was a general contractor, I was a construction manager and, you know, working in hospitals, building hospitals. Um, they deserve the same amount of congratulations. They're also played the hero role coming in and supporting the hospital because let's face it, uh, we all run, we all run lean in today's market. Uh, a hospital's a business and those external partners, those contractors and vendors coming in daily to service that hospital, um, they truly hands down did, did a fantastic job supporting the mission and what we did in our community. Great point. Great point. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time. Clay, Corey, Rick, thank you for hopping in. Good luck moving forward. And thanks for appearing on the High Reliability Podcast. This Absolutely. Is Peter Martin. Thank you again, Peter. And Clay, oh, my pleasure. Corey. This is Peter Martin signing off for the High Reliability Podcast. I hope you'll join us again in the future. Thank you.